Hey everyone, welcome back to another episode of Game Talk Radio. I'm your host, Greg, coming at you every single week, hitting you up with these hot stories and opinion pieces that I like to talk about. And today's no different. Uh, This week we have three different stories I want to talk about. One, we're going to be talking about the Sega Genesis Mini uh, being announced. We're going to talk about that. Uh, We're going to talk about a Super Smash Brothers tournament where... During one of the matches, an opponent just gave up after seeing the way his opponent was playing. So we're going to talk a little bit about that, but mostly about uh, tournament etiquette, if you will. And then lastly, we're going to talk about Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice. It is the latest game brought to us by From Software, the creators of Dark Souls, Demon Souls, Bloodborne. Uh, incredible uh, developers, probably one of my favorite developers, and I play all their games. I love them all. I've been playing that, but recently, uh, as as often happens when every time... A new FromSoft game comes out. Ultimately, the question is asked, should there be an easy mode? And we're going to address that. And uh, so those are going to be three stories. We have our game of the week picked out. And we have our user question ready to go. And we're pretty much locked and loaded. Uh, it's, um, it's, the snow's gone finally. <laughs> we, uh, we, uh, the snow's all gone here. It's, it's flurried a little bit yesterday. Uh, during the day, and actually it was like big flurry flakes, so you're looking around like, what the hell is this? Like, it's a blizzard back again? But, uh, no, it seems to be like it was just a thing. It didn't stick to the ground or anything, so we're fine. And today it's supposed to get back up to 50, so even if it did, it would have melted today. So that's good. I think we're going to roll into spring. I don't think we're going to have a late night uh, or a late April blizzard surprise like we did last year, which is good because in a couple weeks we have the Midwest Gaming Classic coming up, which I missed last year because of the stupid blizzard. And so I'm going for the whole weekend this year, and it should be a pretty good time. Uh, that all coupled with next Tuesday is my birthday. So, uh, yeah, so I, I don't know. I guess we'll do a special birthday podcast. Otherwise, I might not do one. Uh, sometimes I treat myself to just a day where I have no responsibilities. Like, that's, <laughs> that, that, is, uh, that is my kind of day. But I do enjoy doing this, and, uh, and I love the consistency of it. So, yeah. So I think I will just probably still do it. I don't know. I don't know. I'm probably will. I don't know why I say no. I probably will. I most likely will. But we, uh, so we got that. Um, yeah, you know, it's, it's been pretty crazy. Uh, if you follow my store, uh, on, uh, on uh, Facebook or on Twitter, you would have seen that we got an incredible NES collection in of 535 games, all individuals, no doubles, uh, with the exception of like gold cart, gray cart, legend of Zelda, stuff like that. And uh, that was just awesome. So we, we got that all processed. Uh, I was saying this, I think, last week that uh, that uh, I worked like over the course of three days, I worked something like 55 hours or something. <laughs> and I was like, OK, I'm, I got to I got to go. Was that is that right? No, no, that's not right. Sorry. More like more like 40 hours because uh, for, 42 hours. Yeah. Uh, in the three days. But it was, um, you know, it, it was it was very, very long days. It was just woke up, went to the store, came home, went to bed, (laughs) come on to the store. Uh, but that's what you do, you know, as a business owner, um, you make it work, you make it happen because nobody else is going to do that work. And, and, uh, you want it done well, you, you, you I, I believe, uh, I've always been as a leader, I've always believed in leading by example. So, uh, one, one of my core tenants as a, as a manager, as a leader was always, you know, don't ask them to do something you wouldn't do. So you do it first, you let them know that you're doing it. So when you ask them to do it, they have no problem doing it. And I just feel like that's just good team building as well. Uh, but my guys were really great. Dave and Dom stepped up and, uh, and they helped me crush out those NES games, which, uh, which we took care of. Um, so, oh, cool. I just got a, I just got a date reminder about my own birthday on my phone. 
<laughs> so I hope I can remember my own birthday. <laughs> um, but anyway, so uh, let's let's quit uh, let's quit jabbering on, and, and we're gonna get right into the topics here, starting with the uh, Sega Genesis Mini. So first on the podcast today, we're gonna be talking about the Sega Genesis Mini. They did it. <laughs> Sega did it, everybody. So they actually announced this a while back, and it was supposed to release in 2018, and then it got shelved for quite a large amount of time. And part of the reason was because, um, if you don't know already, it, you might have seen these around in different stores. So Target and other stores sell uh, a Sega Genesis console that has preloaded games and can play cartridges along with a handheld device like a little handheld device that also uh, has built-in games uh, and so those were made by a company called AT games and uh, or at games whatever you want to call it um, we'll, we'll say at games so at games uh, makes these very cheap emulation devices and they're pretty crappy but you know they get the job done they're they're not great but they're not it, like terrible i mean they're pretty close to terrible but they're not they're not unusable you know in fact we had one that we took uh, a couple years ago we set up as a demo and people were playing and like no one noticed the difference like the, the casual person would not notice the difference um obviously someone like me the the sound is the big issue the sound's terrible and um and some of the colors are off and and just like the overall like like the the the, the frame choppiness and there, there's a whole bunch of issues and it's not well emulated so when they announced the sega genesis mini like sega announces we're like oh cool and then they basically said like after that announcement it was revealed shortly after that it was being made by at games and so everyone's excitement just died because we're like well we already have these kind of at game systems and they suck you know like the, they're they're not what we want we already have access to these like what is better about this one than those and and it, at that time it sounded like sega was really cashing in on well the nes and super Nintendo uh, classic sold so well so let's let's do our own right and so that's i think how this idea was born and originally i believe it was only going to come out in japan and, and it was uh and it was made by at games and so then basically after the the public outcry Sega pulled back on that and, and they came out and said something along the lines of, you know, we're pushing this back to improve the quality of it. And uh, so then finally, it was Sega Fest in Japan. Uh, Sega Festival is the annual fan event in Tokyo. And they announced, and I'm going to read it here from this Kotaku article, they announced games for the Japanese Mega Drive Mini, including Sonic 2, Puyo Puyo 2, Shining Force, Castlevania Bloodlines, Powerball, Gunstar Heroes, Comic Zone, Rent a Hero, Space Harrier 2, and uh, Mado Managatari Ichi. Since a few of these games are Japan only, it stood to reason that the U.S. and European lineups would be different, which uh, Sega did announce the following games for the U.S. version. Altered Beast, Castlevania Bloodlines, Comic Zone, Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine, Echo the Dolphin, Gunstar Heroes, Shining Force, Sonic the Hedgehog, Space Harrier 2, and Toe Jam and Earl. So that's very cool. That's 10 good games. In fact, I would argue that they have already surpassed the PlayStation Classic in quality lineup of titles with only the first 10 announced. Out of a total of 40 games, I believe they said. Does that sound right? Um, yeah, so I believe it's 40 games. So, uh, a couple interesting tidbits about this, though. Some really good, some kind of not good. So first, let's get with really good. Let's stay positive today. No reason to get negative this early in the morning. <laughs> so, uh, Sega announced that M2 the developer behind Sega Ages is creating the software for the device. So this is very good. This is not an AT Games uh, hardware 
uh, super basic baby Raspberry Pi in a box that, you know, this is actual, like they're using, they, they are, they are still using emulation, but the emulation behind the Sega ages collections, which are very good actually. So it's an internal Sega team working on these. It's not just some garbage, um, along with, uh, and then, uh, this also I thought was very cool as well. It also said that the system will include different regional variations of some games. For example, the mega drive mini in Japan will include the U S European and Japanese versions of Castlevania bloodlines that's pretty cool um to have so and, and now is that going to count towards the 40 i don't think so but it could so before we get too excited about the number we'll wait and see um it did not confirm yet if the u.s version will do the same but it seems likely i agree with that um may, mostly they didn't talk a lot about the u.s one because they're going to do a separate event for the u.s reveal with its games and and um dropping it here so that's kind of why like because they've already started pre-ordering it here but they've said they didn't want to take too much thunder away from sega us so they're going to work on that um and then let's get to some of the weird stuff so this uh well sorry one more good thing uh the menu music for the device was composed by streets of rage composer yuzo kushiro that's awesome get the streets of rage soundtrack is one of the like best and it is iconic for sega so it is just one of those you know that that's fantastic um, now here's where I start to get a little peeved not that I probably wouldn't have bought both anyway, but the Japanese version will include six button controllers and the U S version will ship with two, three button controllers that connect to the mini via USB original Genesis controllers won't connect. That's okay. That's how the NES classic is a PlayStation. That's fine. Um, in Japan, at least it'll be sold in two variations with one controller for about $60 and two controllers for about $80. The U S version will be $80 with the two controllers, but I find this kind of frustrating. I won't lie. So I understand it's part of the iconic look. I do get it. If you're looking, this is, this is a replica of a first gen Sega Genesis. The top, you can't really see it here, but it says high definition graphics. That version came with three button controllers. And so like the PlayStation classic, there is a certain sense of, I think, uh, wanting to keep it genuine and the genuine release of this would be to have the three button controllers with this model Genesis. Um, and while this system certainly looks iconic and is what you think of when you think of the Genesis, uh, the Genesis model two sold better. So it actually would probably, if you'd made a model two Genesis with six button controllers, it probably would have been just as popular. Um, but, uh, but yeah, in any case, they're going for a certain style here. Now the games they have listed don't really require six buttons. Not a lot of games do, uh, obviously some of the fighters like street fighter without a six button controller are not very fun to play. Um, so I'm, since it comes with two controllers, I don't know if they'll be offering controllers sold separately because why would you now they are USB though. So could I plug in my DualShock four with a USB cable? Probably. And then I'll be fine. Uh, but again, part of the awesomeness of a system like this is to have that genuine feel. Uh, and I love the idea that I could get a USB Genesis controller. This is part of the reason that I love my PlayStation classic. Uh, well, probably the only reason is because it comes with two USB PlayStation controllers. So say I'm playing on my PC and I'm emulating a game because I don't have any access to it anywhere else. If I want that to feel more authentic, I can play with a PS one original controller. So I think that's pretty cool. So I definitely dig what they're doing here. I love that it's USB and not some proprietary slot like the um, NES and Super Nintendo classic. So I think that's all good. Um, and so we got our listed games here. Uh, M2. That's very, very good. Good news. Uh, they showed some more about this. Um, they, they did say during the Sega demonstration that the six button controller would be the same size as the original and that the games would have a save anywhere function. So save states, no problem. The the menu music was done by Streets of Rage guy. We knew that. Um, yeah. So here, here's a little bit of that backstory I was talking about. Uh, they announced it. 
so they first announced this last year at the Sega Festival, uh, and it was originally supposed to be released in 2018 only in Japan and based on the at games technology, which sucks. So they didn't do it. <laughs> um, yeah, so so that's uh, that's the news side of it. Uh, so Sega Genesis Mini, sixty, uh, excuse me, eighty bucks, which uh, uh, I, I want to say feels a little high, you know. Um, but it is in line with the two controller package of the Super Nintendo Classic, same era, same amount of controller, same price. Like I get it. I think they could have swooped in at like sixty nine ninety nine probably and just kind of swept them under. Um, but it is cool. I love stuff like this. I know a lot of people look at these things and they're like, "Oh, it's a cash grab. It's really stupid." Um, I don't want to de- You know, I don't want to. I don't want to have like a, a stupid. I could get a Raspberry Pi that would do the same thing. Like, well, duh. Okay, but this is cool because this is an officially licensed product that's officially made by Sega. I think that's really cool, and I think this is something. And I have like my wall of, uh, I have over here like um a super my my Super Famicom Mini, my Super Nintendo or my Super Famicom Classic, my Super Nintendo Classic. I even have like the um Shonen Jump version Famicom that they did. It's like a gold one with like the Dragon Ball and games on it and stuff. So like I, I do like these. I think they're cool collectibles. And I think there's something that's more fun to pull down and play. Like if some friends come over, just hook it up to a TV and you don't really care if it gets busted. You don't care if someone slobbers all over the controller. You know, it's just it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. It's fine. No reason to get uh, upset over it. Um, eighty bucks, ugh, a little steep I feel, but it's gonna be cool. I'll end up buying the Japanese one because I want the six button controllers. <laughs> <laughs> uh, even though the, the three button Genesis controllers are pretty, pretty dynamite though. Like the, the, these controllers are great. D pads, not my favorite, but, uh, the buttons are super responsive. I like where the start button is in response to the three buttons. Uh, I think the three buttons work great. Um, and there's no like extra shoulders and all these extra buttons on here. Like it's pretty simple. Um, wish there was a select button, but you know, that Sega never had them. So you, you can't, you can't have what you never had. Can't get what you never had. Um, and so going through some of these games, altered beast, um, I'm I'm just gonna get real here with some of these games. Like the Ultra Beast Genesis version is kind of rough, you know. Like the uh, the arcade version is awesome. Genesis version is kind of rough. It's an early Genesis game, and it was an arcade port that wasn't super super great. So it's I mean it is what it is. Just you know I'm not knocking it. Please like when I did the Commodore video, the Commodore Mini video, and I started talking trash about all the Commodore games, people like destroyed me. I'm like just I'm not saying it's bad. I'm just come on, you know it's rough. Like let's just be real about it. Um, Castlevania Bloodlines, fantastic Castlevania game, not better than Symphony of the Night, not better than Dracula X on the Turbo, but, or on the PC Engine CD, uh, but it's as good, in my opinion, as Castlevania 4, and, uh, it's, uh, not as good as Castlevania 1, 2, or 3, maybe it's better than Castlevania 1, but it's good, it's, it's a good Castlevania game, you pick between two people, uh, one of the players actually has, like, a, like a trident, or a, a bow staff with, I don't know what the hell weapon it is, uh, and, uh, and then the other person has a whip. So there's actually two ways to play. It's pretty fun. Comic Zone, excellent game. Only downfall about Comic Zone. And actually, I talked about this on my uh, on my game of the week a couple weeks ago. Comic Zone, excellent game. Just wish it were two-player. But it's also super hard. Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine. Fun fact, I almost picked this as my game of the week on the podcast this week. But I figured most, most people wouldn't care. <laughs> Because I'm I'm one of those weirdos that loves this game. And I think it's not very popular. But Dr. Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine is just a port of Puyo. Pa, uh, Puyo. So like, if you've never played Puyo, like recently it's getting more attention because they did Tetris versus or uh, Tetris Puyo, whatever they call the game. They did it for Switch, and they did it for PS4, and that game's really awesome actually. Puyo Puyo Tetris, I think it's called. And so that game's actually really fun. Uh, well, they did like a, uh, a Sonic skin of that. So like it's not Puyo Puyo, it's Doctor Robotnik's Mean Bean Machine, but it's the same game. And the name's funny because Mean Bean Machine it all rhymes. 
Echo the Dolphin. This was actually, this and the original X-Men were my first launch titles for the Genesis. The games I bought when I bought my Genesis. Uh, Echo the Dolphin is fun. It's actually really, really creative and unique. I don't know how that game ever got greenlit because on paper it probably sounded really stupid. Uh, but the game works really well. Uh, Gunstar Heroes. Uh, this is an awesome uh, shooter. It's kind of like a Contra type except it's done by Treasure. If you don't know who Treasure is, uh, they make excellent, uh, excellent games. And they're kind of, in that era, they were kind of... Uh, I don't want to say notorious, but they were infamous for their uh, skills and for their quality of games that they made. Uh, Gunstar Heroes is, is, like I said, it's like a Contra type, but then imagine uh, having two, you can have two weapons at once, and the two weapons have synergies. So depending on the different weapons you have, you switch the synergies and make different types of weapons for different types of situations. It's actually pretty cool. Uh, Shining Force is a really good RPG. Um, Sonic the Hedgehog is Sonic the Hedgehog. We all know that's fun to play. Space Harrier 2, I, I don't have much love for Space Harrier. I've never really liked this style game, but uh, it's like a third-person view, like your character's in the front of the screen. It's kind of like World Runner, where like the, the world's coming at you and you're just kind of dodging back and forth. It's fine. You shoot stuff. You know, it's an arcade game that... Uh... Uh, that was a Sega arcade game. And then, of course, Toe Jam & Earl, which recently has been really popular and been coming back because of um, the Toe Jam & Earl 4 that released. Uh, on It was a Kickstarter. It finally just came out. It's getting good reviews. And, uh, yeah, so the original Toe Jam & Earl is good. Planet on Funkatron, the sequel, not as good. Uh, so the, including the original one is very good. So the first 10 games, like I said earlier, these are pretty much setting the bar. Uh, which is a pretty good bar, and uh, they have a good variety of types of games here, and it's already better than the PlayStation Classic, so <laughs> that's all That's all good. Uh, but it'll be very interesting to see. I want to say it comes out the end of this year, um, maybe around, right? It's going to be a Christmas gift, so we're going to see it around September, October. Uh, they want this on shelves as a, as a holiday, uh, as a holiday seller. Which I think it'll do well. I think it'll do well. Uh, Sega's a strange, um, a strange system. It doesn't collect as well as the other systems. So, like, collectability. Say, take a game like Sunset Riders on Sega Genesis and Super Nintendo. Arguably, the games are very similar, uh, but the Super Nintendo version is worth almost double what the Genesis version is. Um, just because, like, there's some, there's a collectability that the Nintendo stuff holds higher than Sega, and I think part of it is because over the years, kind of recreating stuff has never been something new to Sega. This is something they've done many times um and and like there, there's always an arcade collection even on the sega genesis they did a six pack of six sega genesis games on one cartridge so they've been shame and then on ps2 they had a sega collection then on ps3 they had sonic's ultimate genesis collection and now on ps4 they have a, a sega uh sega genesis collection so like every generation they re-release their games which i think is is hurting the, the 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 value of them but that's okay um but it also means that if you have more ways to play those games you have less people actively collecting those which i think is why the market stays kind of low on Genesis stuff. Uh, anyway, um, but it is cool. It's definitely loved. It's it's a beloved system. And if you haven't, I highly recommend, uh, there's a book that is apparently being worked on into a movie, but the book is called The Console Wars. And it's a, it's really interesting. Um, I don't, I don't want to say like, uh, it's, it's a biopic, I guess, about Sega during the 16-bit wars with Nintendo, told entirely from Sega's point of view, so it's a little biased that way, but it's a really interesting story, and it's told specifically from, like, Sega of America's point of view, uh, which is also interesting because they weren't just fighting with Nintendo, they were fighting with Sega of Japan, because uh, they talk about the jealousy between Sega of Japan being jealous that the system was selling better in America. Um, one quick little story about that, um, they talk about how they had they were going to be one of the first games ever to do a worldwide release with Sonic 2. And they had come up with this marketing slogan called Sonic Tuesday. And it was even the birth of like a Tuesday release, um, you know, and all these things. And the Friday before that, I believe it was the Friday before that, 
Sega of Japan decided to launch it in Japan because they should launch it first. <laughs> so this huge marketing campaign went into worldwide release. Sega Tuesday, you know, Sonic Two Tuesday, and 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 they just threw it away, um, just because they, you know, there was there was a there was a, a feeling there that they were the num- priority company and that the U.S. market was because when the U when Sega in the U.S. started off, it was super small, and and like through the years of the Genesis, as they became so popular, they they blew up, and so you know, I think a lot of people in Japan still look them as a small company when they were quite big um during the 16-bit era uh right up until the the failure of the dreamcast i guess um not that the dreamcast itself was a failure but you know what i mean like it only survived for about a year or two and then faded away into obscurity sadly as a, as it was a very good console but yeah so check this out it uh, you can pre-order now i pre-order mine on amazon uh 80 bucks sega genesis mini 40 games 10 of which have already been announced and i guess we'll get the other 30 sometime later All right, so let's let's roll right into this one. I don't see any. Um, yeah, I don't know. I guess you guys should uh, you should message me or or uh, or email us and see if uh, I'd like to know if if anyone tweet at me actually at uh, Game Trade Greg tweet at me if you think you're gonna buy the Sega Genesis Mini. I'd love to. I'd love, maybe I'll start a poll on it too, and we'll just kind of see what people think. But uh, yeah, I I I'm gonna buy it. I mean, I buy all those mini consoles, so it's that, that's not much of a stretch for me. But I love it, man. And, and I, I, I was a Genesis kid. I went from NES to Genesis to PlayStation. <laughs> so I wasn't loyal. I'm not loyal to any company. I'm loyal to the place that I feel I'm getting the best gaming experience. And the games, now, looking back, if I'd had the choice, I might have chosen a Super Nintendo over. I think I would have enjoyed that a lot more. But I didn't have that. I had a Genesis, you know. And so you, you do the best you can with what you got. So next up on the podcast today, we're going to be talking about Sekiro, Shadows Die Twice, and specifically the 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 comments that have been coming up recently that should Sekiro have an easy mode. Um, so I'm torn on this, right, because I... I love these games. I love everything FromSoft does, with very few exceptions, being like Armored Core 5 and Ninja Blade for 360. So I love most of their games. I especially love their formula for their Dark Souls, Demon Souls. And I don't want to put Sekiro in that vein because it is different enough, but it, it is a signature FromSoft game. So we'll kind of lump it all in there. And so I understand people's issue with the difficulty. In fact, there's uh, Dark Souls and Bloodborne veterans that are playing this and find this incredibly difficult because the combat's different. The way you parry and block is different. The systems are different, which I think is... I actually think it's incredible that they were able to make another very difficult game that somehow was still a challenge for the people that have played all their games. I think that's it's incredible design that they were able to do that. But let's get back to the original question. So the reason I got a little upset was mostly because of this headline here. Sekiro Shadows Die Twice needs to respect its players and add an easy mode by Dave Thier of Forbes. And to be fair, uh, his colleague... Um, Eric Kane disagrees with that. So let's not just trash on Forbes over this. It was this person's opinion on Forbes about it. But with that being said, I think this headline is really frustrating. And and I talked a little bit about this on the Dropcast last night. And Jordan asked, you know, he's like, I just don't understand why you get so upset over somebody's comment. And I said, well, first of all, I'm not really upset about it. But what upset, what, what, what irritates me about it is that it's not him saying, I wish Sekiro had an easy mode because I can't play it on the normal difficulty, and I wish there was one. That's totally different. I would look at that and say, okay, I respect that. I can I can appreciate that. Jordan has the same opinion. He feels like he doesn't have the time to put into the game to get good at it. 
okay, okay, which I'm actually going to counter that argument later. But, you know, so he talks about that. But that's not what this article said. This article, Sekiro Shadows Die Twice needs to respect its players and add an easy mode. So that, first of all, it would be a, uh, I don't understand how this person feels like a company who designs a product who is a very, very distinguished developer should have to change something to respect its players. You're insinuating that they don't respect their players, and I actually quite disagree with that. I think FromSoft is one of the best developers out there, um, but they do. They make their vision of a game, and I feel like who, who are we to say your vision of what you want is disrespecting your players? I just find that really disingenuous to say that you know? And so there's a couple ways I want to go with this. And like, so I read that article and that's frustrating to me. And like I said, I'm not mad about it. Like Jordan thought that like I got all worked up over Twitter or something. I didn't. In fact, I just like, I, I have a problem with that argument. And then I have, this is very divisive. Um, when you see people going back and forth about this, mo there, there is a subset and Jordan was fair to, to bring this up, but there was a subset of people that were saying things like, there is like a, a, and this is what Jordan said. There's a dude bro gamer sort of mentality with these games where it's like, because because of the massive difficulty these games have, they come with a massive amount of satisfaction when you overcome the difficulty. Some people take that as a sense of pride and they're like, man, I did it. I'm really happy with that. And some people take that pride and they turn into arrogance. And so then there's this very like arrogant subset of people that are like, oh, I beat this game that most people can't beat. And now those people want easy mode, blah, blah. And then, then they, like they get pissed and butthurt about it. And and I don't, I don't, I'm not like that. I don't care. Um, but I think there's a few arguments that are just incorrect. And that's what I mostly wanted to address in this video. One of the arguments is that there should be an easy mode, which is funny because if you've played through the whole game, the normal mode actually is the easy mode. There is a hard mode you can activate if you can believe it. <laughs> there is a hard mode you can activate. Okay, so this is easy mode. <laughs> um, but one of the other arguments that people are making right now are, and, and I wanted to bring this up, and, and not to call out this person in particular, but basically the argument she's making um, was that an assist mode simply opens up the game to people that lack these four things. And here's her points. Ability, in her t in her um, assessment of that is reaction speed, motorics, I don't know, motor function maybe? I don't, I don't know what that word is. And then agility. Time, adult life. Oh, well, let, you know, let's do these one at a time. So ability, reaction speed, and motorics, and agility. Those get better with this game. I think what's frustrating to me about these articles too is that I, as someone who started playing the game, I said this on the podcast last night, but I will say it again, there was a moment I had where I thought I might not beat this game. I actually had that feeling. Like, I was like, man, I can't call anybody in to help me. I have to do this all myself. I don't know if I'm going to get through this one. The combat just seems too tough. And it's just, it's just, too, I don't know if I'll be able to bang my head against a wall long enough to be able to do it. And so what I, as I started playing now, that was a week ago. Okay. As I am right now, I'm almost entirely through the game. I've got about two bosses left to go, which I hear are terribly difficult and I can't wait to bust them. But I've got to go through two more bosses or so, a few more things, and I'm done. And so I went from thinking I wouldn't even be able to finish it or beat the first boss to almost being through the game in the course of a week. So that debunks two of these issues. One, it debunks ability. Now, if you want to argue that people have caps on their ability when it comes to playing games, I have a hard time believing that. Um, I, I believe if you play anything 
long enough and you practice enough, you will be good at it. And this game basically makes you get better. If you don't get better, you don't get further. That's always been the Dark Souls mentality. If you don't get better at the game, you don't get further. And that's and that's that's part of their game design. And I, I think that's good game design. Uh, and, and there's not a million tutorials and there's not a million uh, hold hand uh, hand holding things. It's just here you go. And so I don't I don't believe that people just lack ability and so they can't play it. I'm sorry. This is where I have to say it takes work to be good at this game. And if you don't want to put the work in, that's fine. But then this game isn't for you. And, and that's OK. Not every game needs to be for every gamer. I, I've said that before and I'll say it a million times over um, because there are on the opposite end of the spectrum. OK, let's look at something like New Super Mario Brothers or the recent release of Yoshi on the Switch. Was it Switch or 3DS? I don't It doesn't matter. So those games just have basically like like there was literally a story where you could have two rocks held on the controller for Yoshi and he just floats through the level and there's no difficulty. You, you basically you just beat the game. New Super Mario Brothers, there's like that bubble you can put yourself in if you're about to fall into a hole. You like bubble out of it. And that's fine too. Those games offer no challenge to me, so I don't enjoy them. And that's okay. I, I don't say, man, Mario should have like a hardcore mode where like everything kills you in one hit and blah, blah, blah. I don't say that because that's not their vision of that game. And that's not who they were aiming that audience at. And so I think it's a little um, disingenuous to try to say that a game company needs to change the way it's doing things to fit you. Um, and so, you know, I, I, it just kind of bugs me. So that also goes to the time factor. Now, Jordan made this argument too. He said something along the lines of, you know, it's like, I'm, I'm a dad. I don't have, you know, 40, 50 hours to put into a game and, and whatnot. And I'm like, but that's not true because he puts that much time into other games. So it's just that he doesn't want to put his time into a game that's this challenging to work over. And I'm not criticizing someone over that. I totally understand that. I feel like one way to, to split up gamers is into the types, uh, the way you play. One way people play is a lot of people play games to relax. And other people play games to overcome challenges. I play games to overcome challenges. I think Jordan plays more, like, he does play challenging games. I'm not trying to say, like, he doesn't like difficulty. But he could easily learn how to play this game. And he's good at games. He'd have no problem learning how to play this. I guarantee he plays fighting games. He plays, and he gets good. I mean, he he knows how to play. So his argument, in my opinion, is is, is moot because he he could be good at it. But now it's up to, does he want to? And then if you say, okay, well, I don't want to put the time into it. Okay, but that's your decision. That's not the game's fault for being too hard. That's you saying, I just don't feel like putting the effort in. And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, but that's really the argument. So the next one she comments on is skill, which is game experience. So, okay, I, I could argue that, yes, if my mom, who's never played a PS1, 2, 3, or 4, she probably only played the ColecoVision and maybe a little bit of NES when we had it, could I argue that she wouldn't have the skill to beat this game? Yes. But could I also argue that she probably would have no interest in this game? <laughs> like, she's not looking at this going, oh, that looks really good. I'd really like to play it. Like, she's not doing that. So if there's anybody out there that apparently lacks skill but loves this game, just play it and you will get better. You can't play Sekiro in a linear fashion. Uh, I should say, I shouldn't say you can't. I should say I didn't. And here's what I learned about Sekiro. If you play it linear, you go so far, you hit a roadblock. You can sit there for 10 hours trying to kill the same boss. Or you know what? You go somewhere else and you slowly level up. You slowly get more gourd seeds, which give you more recharges of your heal. And then you, you and you get more skill. And so I came back to the first boss after dying on her like 10 or 20 times. And I beat her the first try. I came back and I just whooped her. Because one, I was doing more damage. And two, I had more life. And three, I had more life recharges. I mean, that just, you know. So, and then the last one, I don't understand at all. 
confidence. So for people that an assist mode is for people that lack confidence. How do you build confidence? By being successful and working hard. You know what build confidence? If someone who has no confidence plays this game and then beats it. You want to talk about pushing your confidence meter into the neck into the stratosphere? You know, there's that. But I, I so I look at this and, and and like this, you know, don't block people from the things you love. It's much more fun to share the joy of playing games. Like, yeah, like I get the message that she's trying to share, which is that, you know, gaming should be inclusive. And I totally agree with that. But not every game is for every person. You know, there's horror games out there that shouldn't be played by five year olds. Like like should 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 we make all of our horror mode games have a non scary mode so that kids don't go to bed crying? It doesn't make any sense, you know? Now, the other part of this I want to get to, this actually is frustrating to me too. One point I want to make, and she didn't touch on it, which is which makes me happy. But one of the other points that people were bringing up was people with disabilities can't play this game. And, and that was like one of the first things people were going back to was accessibility. And so when you talk about accessibility, sometimes you think of things like for the hearing impaired, they have subtitles. For colorblind people, they'll often have a colorblind mode where they'll shift some of the colors so that you don't uh, so you don't miss out on things. And so then there were people saying, well, people with physical disabilities can't play this game because of its difficulty. I actually find that incredibly insulting. And if I was somebody with a physical um, handicap, I would find that really insulting. My handicap would not decide if I was good at a game or not. You know, that's that's really disingenuous. And there wasn't a single handicapped person that said, this game is too hard for me. I wish it were easy. It was always somebody else like sticking up for the people that never said that. And that's frustrating to me too, because one, we've got things like adaptive controllers that Microsoft's working on. Would love to see Sony come up with something the same, but Microsoft has it, works on PC and Xbox. You have, I mean, look at YouTube. People beat Dark Souls with a guitar controller for crying out loud. <laughs> they beat, they beat uh, oh, get, uh, Dark Souls with a dance pad. <laughs> so you can't tell me that there's these physical limitations of a disabled person. I know somebody who's beaten all the Dark Souls game and Bloodborne. And he had a stroke recently. Well, not recently. I guess in the last couple of years, he had a stroke and he can only use one hand. And he beat Dark Souls with one hand. So you can't. So so I think to say that it's I think to say that just if you have a physical disability, you can't get better and beat a difficult game. I think that's bullcrap. And I think that that's one of the that, that's that's you're shortchanging their ability and you're shortchanging their drive. And these are sometimes people that overcome insurmountable difficulties on a day-to-day -day living basis. They have a hard time getting out of bed, but they do it and they overcome it. So that's why like, I get really kind of pissed off when they use the, like they're hiding behind the, the physical disability angle. I actually really get irritated by that. Um, because I mean, that's just, that's, that's nonsense. It's nonsense. And, and it really, really, really frustrates me. Um, because again, it, it has nothing to do with, with that person's ability to learn and to adapt, you know, and, and that, and that's frustrating to me when you, when you assume that, uh, people can't do that. Um, so, so the first article, like I said, it's frustrating because people are like, Oh, it needs to respect its players. Uh, let's, you know, um, this, uh, um, this guy. So then the guy who did the article didn't update, uh, so he has a Twitter thread that he, he posts here. Um, and here's, here's what this Ian Bordeaux guy says to uh, Ian Hamilton. So he says, I agree accessibility is important and it happens. I've recently had the opportunity to discuss the issue with Cherry for an article. I also think that adding an easy mode to Sekiro means making a fundamentally different game. So this is somebody, this is somebody with um, a disability, uh, which then was replied to uh, easy mode is a really blunt instrument. There are other ways to start with it is worth looking at what the designer's intent is and what they want the players to experience. Many assume that From's goal is to make games that require a high skill bar, and that's not true. That's a very good point. And so 
what what I what I get to with something like this is part of what they're trying to there's always a deeper meaning to FromSoft's games. And if you played all their games, you'll understand this, whether it's Dark Souls and you being a, a regular hollow who's the chosen undead. But what makes you the chosen undead? It's the ability to overcome all the challenges, get to Gwyn and defeat him. In Sekiro, you're a shunned, shamed shinobi. <laughs> Say that three times fast. And, and so it, this is essentially you coming back from, I mean, not the literal dead, but coming back from, you know, I'm disgraced. I've had issues like I need to get back to form. And so there's a part where you start off and you kind of suck and then you get back to form and like, now I'm kicking some ass. And like, now it's cool. Um, and so th that's, uh, I think that's part of a theme in, in a lot of their games is overcoming the challenge is part of the, uh, making the player, you know, Kojima is often praised for trying to integrate the player experience into the game experience. This is exactly what FromSoft does in all their games. They're trying to make the player be the character getting better and, and, and seeking redemption and, and becoming more skilled to uh, overcome these difficulties. And so, and, and last point I'm going to make about Sekiro when it comes to difficulty challenges, now Jordan made a good point on the Dropcast last night. There's already a difficulty mod for PC. You can install it and make the game easier. Okay, cool. I don't have a problem with that. If that's what you want to do on your game. It's uh, there's no PvP in the game. There's no online. So who cares if you alter the game, you know, and make it easier for yourself? If that makes you have a good experience, I'm okay with it. But demanding that FromSoft does it is what frustrates me because I think people think that when it comes to making and designing a game, and I say this as somebody who's designed a couple games, only one's ever come out and it wasn't good, so don't ask about it. It's terrible. So take what I say with a very large grain of salt. It's not just as simple in a FromSoft game as lowering an enemy's hit points, lowering the damage they do, and increasing the damage you do. That isn't just a way to like make the game still fun. In fact, the way these games are balanced and the design... Uh, theory that goes into all these games is very, very different than that. If that's all you want to do, then the PC mod is perfect for you because that's literally what it does. It just changes a few metrics to allow you to have an easier time. But that doesn't mean that the experience that they're trying to present to you would be the same. Because in fact, when it's that easy, like for instance, would I have discovered as many places as I did if I hadn't hit those roadblocks and then just started exploring? Or would I have gotten all the way to the end, beat the boss super easy and then been like, okay, now where do we go? Like, like where would be the challenge there? You know? Um, but anywho, uh, that's all I really wanted to say about Sekiro. I think it's an interesting argument. I never mind having the argument. I just wish that it was done in a more respectful way, such as, like I said, that article being written saying it needs to respect its players. I think that's just a, a terrible headline. And I think that's just a really, like that, that already started by putting people on the defensive, uh, because you're essentially attacking the game developer that they love. And so you put people on the defensive and then when people stick up for themselves, then you start playing the victim. And it's just a frustrating way to argument, you know, to, to argue something as opposed to where we could both make our arguments and say, yeah, it's both a game we love and we want everyone to play it. And maybe what happened with some of my interactions on Twitter when I, when I was going back and forth with people, there were people legitimately that I, you know, like one girl said, like, you know, I love Dark Souls, but I'll never play this. My husband's so frustrated. It just looks terrible. Combat looks clunky and it's bad. And, and it's just blah, blah. And I thought, no. And she's like, and you can't pick a spot to grind and get better. And it's just frustrating. And those are probably things that her husband was saying because he was frustrated with it. And I mean, I tweeted this out last week. Uh, something about the difficulty because it is incredibly difficult. And you say things. <laughs> and I said a lot of horrible things that weren't true. Uh, so now... um, 
<laughs> now I feel very differently about the game. So I was able to tell her, hey, you can farm. I found a few great farming places where I stopped for about an hour or two. Um, ran through, stealth kill like 10 guys, reset the shrine, kill 10 guys, reset the shrine, just grind out four or five skill points, get the the higher healing skill, get the one that has higher um, little, the charm things, whatever that you use for your sub weapons. And like, you can do all that. And there are ways to do that. And so it's fine. And, uh, and so once in that conversation, she actually was receptive to that. So it was a way for me to help somebody out in the game who felt that they wouldn't like it. And I love that part of the conversation. That was us coming together to chat about it as opposed to, this game sucks. And then me being offended because you said the game sucks because it doesn't suck. And then yada, yada, and so on and so forth. But it is an excellent game, but you know what you're getting into. I mean, it is a FromSoft game. It is very difficult. And if you don't have the patience to, to bang your head against a wall a few, a few times to get used to it, then you may not enjoy it. And, and that, that sucks. But again, I don't think every game should be for every gamer. And I think that ruins the experience when you try to cater to everybody, as opposed to just making a great experience for, you know, who you're targeting and, uh, and who's going to play your game. Um, all right. And then I guess we can pretty much just roll right into roll right into my final story. Um, uh, this one, I, yeah, this is this is a weird one. <laughs> so I guess we'll just we'll just we'll just pop out. I don't really have anything to say pre. I mean, um, I myself played a tournament level in Tekken, and uh, and so I have some insight at least a little bit. Uh, and so we'll uh, we'll see we'll see where it goes. Uh, and uh, here we go. So lastly on the podcast today, our final story. We are talking about this one came across. Uh, and I had to talk about it. So the headline from yesterday was a melee player, Smash Brothers, Super Smash Brothers melee, if you don't know, a player quits match over opponents Jigglypuff stalling. Okay, okay. So here's the article. Over the weekend, entire venue of Smash Brothers competitors and spectators lost their collective minds over the actions of one Jigglypuff player. Did he cheat in some way? Did he go overboard after a win, destroy a CRT, yell obscenities at an audience? No, he simply played to the Pokemon's strengths in a favorable matchup, causing his opponent to get so frustrated that he unplugged his controller and left in a huff. So first I want to say this is clearly uh, opinion-based. Ian Walker from Kotaku is uh, very much so on the side of the winner, <laughs> so we know where he's coming from. Uh, he goes on to say, fighting games are all about matchups. Since characters often differ from one another in terms of move lists and play styles, competition can sometimes begin right at the character select screen. In Street Fighter, for instance, Dalsum is always going to have an advantage over Zangief due to the way he can control space with his stretchy limbs. Super Smash Bros. Melee has a similar matchup in Jigglypuff versus the Ice Climbers, in which the floaty Pokemon is able to run away as soon as he gets a life lead, thereby keeping distance between herself and the duo's scary mix-up and grabs. So there is some truth to that. In fact, when you, when you play in tournaments, oftentimes like uh, when I, I play at a competitive level in Tekken. So say for instance, we're playing in Tekken. If I choose my character, I have to like, they'll say, okay, I have to choose my character first. I'll choose. Uh, then they, then the other person can choose. If that person wins, they cannot change their character. So then I'm able to pick a character that might counter their character and their play style. Then if I win, I believe I have to keep the same character and then they would get the final. So there's an advantage to winning the first round, but uh, you have a chance to come back. Um, now me, I don't typically play that way. I, I play my characters my way and hope that I can overcome in the moment. Uh, I've never won a finals, <laughs> so that might be why. <laughs> um, but basically, so 
This, uh, this is the scenario that played out at Battle of BC3 in Vancouver, Canada this past weekend as the event's Super Smash Bros. Melee Tournament reached the finals. Alejandro Chango Gastelum played to Jigglypuff's strengths in a match against Ice Climber's main Chaucer Fohebro Gilson using Puff's hit-and-run gameplay to keep his opponent at bay. Um, he was wearing a custom shirt emblazoned with a hashtag free faw to protest... The tournament's banning of the Ice Climber's controversial wobbling technique. I have no idea what that is, but whatever. He fought back admirably and ended up forcing a crucial fifth game to decide who would remain in the tournament. Throughout the fight, though, he looked frustrated. In previous games, uh, Fobro <laughs> regularly shook his head in apparent disapproval of Chango's tactics. As he entered the final game of the match, he changed his in-game name to Play <laughs> as a signal his criticism of Chango's keep-away game. Um, so before we continue, I have a little bit of experience with something similar. So, um, there is a strategy in, in Mortal Kombat 1 and 2 called turtling, and it's, uh, it's very defensive play. And essentially what you do is you stay in a defensive pose. Whatever your opponent does, you react to it. So say... I go to do a jump kick. As soon as I jump, he jumps and kicks right away uh, with a high priority. And so he hits me. Then he'll sit back. He won't attack. I'll get near. And then if I come in with like a low sweep, he'll like, he'll do a jump kick. Um, and so it's a very reactionary gameplay and it slows down the game and it kind of sucks. It reminds me even of something. If any of you are UFC fans or watch UFC fights, there was a, there was a, there was a fighter years ago, maybe 10 years ago, five, 10 years ago. His name was like Roy something. And I think he won the ultimate fighter. But what he would do is he was like this kind of bigger fat guy. He, 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 he was not your typical fighter. Like the dude had his, a beer gut, you know, and, and what he would do is there's a rule in UFC that if you can't protect yourself, you can't protect your face and your body, the ref will stop the match and you'll lose. So he had this kind of weird strategy where he'd lay on you and like wrap up your arms with one of his arms and lay on you and then just start hitting you in the face. Now he had no leverage. So the punches did almost literally no damage. But because the other person couldn't defend themselves, they would often call the match because they took so many blows and couldn't cover up and they're protecting the fighters, which they're supposed to do. But it was kind of like a loophole that he found. That's similar to the same thing in in games like Super Smash. Um, that there's kind of just like a... There's just kind of like a generic... Um, what do I want to say? Like there, there's like... Uh, okay, not necessarily in tournaments. This is where it gets a little sketchy for me because I want to say, as someone who plays in tournaments, anything goes. I mean, there are obviously rules that are made to prevent glitches and to prevent cheating, but anything typically goes in a tournament. You do what you have to do to win. So I understand that. But with that being said, there are a few courtesies that oftentimes... When you're playing Tekken, oftentimes, like when I grew up playing Tekken, I should say, I know it's different now, throws were typically like disrespectful and it sounds really stupid right but like throws and they're easy to break so if you get thrown you just hit a button you break the throw but it was kind of like a only non-skilled people throw right that's kind of like the thought that was going around and so you know there were there were certain things you wouldn't do you know and uh, i remember i was in a street fighter cross tekken tournament many many years ago and i remember i i got the health lead and there was like 20 seconds left and i straight up just ran away until I won that round just so I could get a win. And I felt so terrible afterwards. I was like, this, if I win, that's not how I want to win. You know, I, that's not my style. And, and so I hate it now. So I can understand this player's frustration, even changing his in-game name to play is hilarious because he was, he's basically saying just play. 
Stop running away, just play. And you run into this in other things too. Like um, other sports have this issue too where people get really bored or they watch. The, uh, UFC is a great example because you watch two guys and they're so busy trying to like circle around each other and get position that they're not actually fighting. And so after like a minute or two of that, people are just like booing, you know, and it's not exciting. Nobody wants to see that. That's not why they went to to go see the event. Um, and so, you know, the guy gets frustrated and he lost his cool, which he shouldn't have done because I believe he could have probably overcome that strategy and he should have, he should have found a way around it. You know, I, that's oftentimes the way these things work though, is if someone throws you nonstop, you're going to learn pretty quick how to break a throw. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's very quick. You're going to break that throw very, very quick. Uh, and, and then you get really good at it. Now, what I like to do sometimes is I'll throw in a throw every now and then just to get them thinking, just to keep them honest. Um, but again, in tournament play, I do feel like anything to win is the way to play as long as it's within the rules of the tournament. And this was. And so I definitely understand the person's frustration, but you got to overcome that. It's patience, man. And, and fighting games often, winning a game like this takes a lot of patience. And, and it's funny how split the community was over it too. There are a lot of people who just feel like this is the way it is. No problem. Don't worry about it. And there's a bunch of people, though, that are just like, that's 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 garbage play. You know, like you, you, you'd you win like that. Like you feel good about winning like that. Um, me personally, I I don't feel good about that. <laughs> but it, you know, it, it, that person might feel good when they win. And if that's what they had to do to beat that person, I mean, if that's what they're doing the whole day and it's making all the players frustrated, you know, I could see that being like a banned thing later on. And, that, and the tournament goers are allowed to ban things like that. Well, I guess that may not be true because we did a story about a year ago where they, they started like having general rules. They were passing down all the tournaments and you like had to follow those rules. Um, now let's see. I think there's a clip here. I kind of want to see if this is, uh, uh, I don't even know. Well, I guess let's try it out. Let's see what happens. Let's blow it up here. So, okay. So this is his strategy yep. when he gets the, yeah, we're, we're still, it's still happening. Yeah. when he gets the life lead, he just kind of does that so the funny thing is the guy who's jigglypuff he knows he knows what he's doing and so he's waiting for the he has the life lead so he's basically gonna run away is that right yeah he's got the life lead so now he sits here he doesn't do anything and the idea i think is to sit here and people are booing i'm gonna turn this down a little bit and you got a head shake you got a really good head shake there Oh, we got a guy giving the middle finger. He's not happy. <laughs> okay, so then the Ice Climber guys, he, he's fed up. He's just sitting there. People watching this are like, what in the hell's happening? Why are people not moving? And he's like, I'm just going to sit here, man. It's like, I want to win more than anything. I'm just going to sit here. Guys, I promise the rest of the top eight is going to be hyped. I think so. sorry. Do we have any more? Well, no. We should have freed Foe. We should have listened. <laughs> so with one minute left he unplugs his controller and walks off the stage and then Jigglypuff runs over and slams him off <laughs> oh baby that is something man that is something <laughs> oh my goodness so yeah i look at that i don't blame that guy for being frustrated but there has to be a way around that right now maybe he wasn't he was so frustrated he couldn't think of the way out of that but i mean because i feel like i don't know Ugh. Ugh. So going on, the article talks about how they call that camping. Yeah, we know that. That's a pretty familiar term with people that just kind of aren't aggressive. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't like it. <laughs> it doesn't feel... I mean, like, so he won, and he can be proud of that, but I don't know. I wouldn't be proud of that win. Like, I'd almost look at the guy and be like, I'm sorry, dude. I just want to win. I'll do anything to win. 
And uh, sorry if that makes you mad, but that's at least where I'm coming from. I guess I understand that. <laughs> that's crazy to me, though. That was hilarious. All right, and that's it for the stories on the podcast today. So we're going to do our listener question, and I think we'll do our... Uh, I think I'll do our uh, game of the week. Let me take a look here. So I got my question. Let me bring it up here. All right. Now this is this is a very personal question. This one, this one hits close to home. This is very touching. This is very painful for me, but I'll still answer the question anyway. Do you think it's possible or probable for Kojima Hideo Kojima of Metal Gear fame, who now has his own studio called Kojima Productions? Do you think it's possible or probable for Kojima to buy the licenses for PT? or Metal Gear from Konami with the help from Sony to produce more exclusive titles for Sony? Well, that's an excellent question. Um, and very painful, as Metal Gear is my favorite franchise of all time. Hideo Kojima is one of my favorite game developers of all time. And um, so is it possible? Anything's possible. <laughs> is it probable? No. Because Konami's never going to give that up. There's way too much like money involved in the marketing and, and the, the offset stuff that Metal Gear makes for them. But that would be incredible if somehow Sony got the exclusive rights to Metal Gear, then they hire Kojima to make a new Metal Gear. It's almost like a way of having Kojima do it through without Konami, like through a proxy, through a proxy, uh, like Metal Gear. Um, <laughs> and uh, uh, PT, no, PT's dead. Uh, and Silent Hill, uh, I would think that there'd be a lot less of a market for. At least Metal Gear has that kind of high level. Um, you know, Metal Gear has a high level, uh, what do I want to say? Metal Gear has a high level, uh, brand awareness. So there is something to be said for Metal Gear. Like Sony would reach for that. I don't think Sony would reach for Silent Hill. Um, but if they got it at the right price, I guess it's possible. Um, but Kojima, I would assume that Death Stranding is going to be some sort of like anthology. I'd be very surprised if they went through all this work for, for a game that's only going to have one game. But they might, and maybe that's what Kojima wants to do now. Maybe he doesn't want to write another epic universe like he did with Metal Gear. Maybe he just wants to uh, to do independent one-off universes, which is also very cool. Um, but no, I, PT and Sound Hills are pretty much toast in my book. Metal Gear, I guess it's always a possibility. Sony would be looking for another big exclusive, and if they could somehow nail down Metal Gear, uh, and then I mean that would that would be like the end-all, be-all murder everything if they could somehow get the rights to make the game from Konami and have Kojima work on it. I mean, that'd be incredible. That'd be incredible. And that would, that would, uh, that would, that would get me excited for the years and years. I would have to wait for that game to come out <laughs> because Kojima and he announces a game, shows a trailer, and then it's three years later that you get to play it. Um, but yeah, very good question. Thank you very much. And, and I love metal gear. Uh, as many of you know, I, I gush about it all the time and, uh, yeah. And so that, that's, that's my take. It's my hot business on the metal gear. Uh, so getting to our game of the week. Today we're going to be talking about... Now, I'm going Genesis heavy lately. I know we've talked about that. Um, but I don't care because it's really easy for me to keep track of which ones I've talked about. And so if I've talked about this before, just bear with me. I have a system now, so I don't repeat these, but whatever. <laughs> so today we're going to be talking about Earthworm Jim on the Sega Genesis. Uh, one of my favorite Sega Genesis games. Uh, I don't think I ever owned this game. I'm pretty sure I just rented it about a billion times from the gas station. Uh, if you're too young to know what I'm talking about, yes, gas stations used to rent video games. <laughs> and you would go to them and rent a video game. Or grocery stores would rent video games. It was incredible. In fact, renting games 
was an experience. Uh, and I think it's something that the, the younger generation will miss out on what was a really cool experience. Like as a kid, every Friday going to every Friday night, my mom would get home from work. We go to the grocery store. She'd let me rent a game for the weekend. And then we take it back Sunday night. And sometimes you got a crappy game and your mom wouldn't take you back. So you had to play that crappy game. <laughs> and sometimes, uh, you got a really good game and you like had to take it back and you were crying and screaming cause you didn't want to take it back. But anyway, earthworm gym, uh, I love this game. It is a 2d side scrolling platformer. Like most games on the Sega Genesis are, uh, it's really good. You play as an earthworm who finds an intergalactic space suit. So you get into the space suit and now you've got arms and legs and you're smart and, uh, and you go around and you fight bosses and the levels are all really neatly designed. This game was actually done by shiny, uh, which if you don't know, they went on to do the matrix games, actually enter the matrix and uh, matrix path of Neo. I uh, was probably where a lot of you would have heard. Um, it, it is uh, it is incredible game. The soundtrack's really good. It's got like uh, real like voice. I don't want to say voice acting, but like sound effects for Earthworm Jim. And uh, one thing I loved about it. Now it's not technically infinite, but you have like this gun that shoots like an automatic rifle, kind of. It's like an automatic pistol, and you have almost infinite ammo. So I just never felt like you had to worry about shots or taking your time. Like you pretty much just hold down like contra, and you're just like jumping and blasting stuff. And the sound effects really good. Lots of platforming. A lot of like like you jump on a chain and you have to hang by like your worm head as you walk across the chain. And I don't know. It, it's just a really fun platformer. I'm sure it's a game most of you have played. If you haven't. You got to play it. Now, I'll be honest, I don't know the difference between this and the Super Nintendo one because I've never played the Super Nintendo one. The Super Nintendo one probably looks a little cleaner and has clearer music. Uh, and the Genesis one probably sounds a little crunchier because the Genesis sound engine was kind of not as great as the Super Nintendo one or it was just different in a different way. But um, Earthworm Jim, check it out. It is it is a fun game. It is really good. You will enjoy it. Uh, and that is it for the podcast today, everybody. As always, I thank you for listening and watching. Um, uh, if, if you're listening to this on iTunes, if you want to listen, you can listen on SoundCloud, go to Game Talk Radio, or uh, you can subscribe on YouTube and on Twitch. That would be incredible. Twitch, we're at twitch.tv slash the drop rate. On YouTube, we're youtube.com slash drop rate. Yes, we uh, unfortunately don't have them the same. <laughs> and, uh, and of course, if you're listening to this on iTunes, or, or if you're listening to this on SoundCloud, Twitch, uh, YouTube, whatever, and you want to listen to it on iTunes... You can go to iTunes uh, podcast app and search for Game Talk Radio. That's going to get you there. So, um, yeah, this is uh, another one down, man. It's it's that it's that fast. It's that easy. Just how it goes every week. Um, so I'll see you all on my birthday next week. I expect um, tons and tons of birthday presents uh, in the form of cool questions and comments. Maybe we'll just do like like if I get. 10 or 15 questions, I'll just do like a whole Q&A of just questions. I think that'd be awesome. Um, I'd love to get to that point. We, we get about a couple hundred listeners every week, so it'd be cool to get even a fraction of those. Um, so that's all I'm asking for for my birthday um, is uh, is please, please, please send me some user questions. Uh, you can tweet them at GameTradeGreg. You can email them to dropratetest at gmail.com or you can message game trade on facebook technically uh if you want to that's another way to get a hold of me i get all those messages too so uh in any case though i appreciate y'all as always thank you for listening and watching um if you could subscribe on youtube we always love that we're almost uh, we're, we're grinding away we're at almost a 4400 like we're, we're getting about 200 subs a month right now uh so that's awesome we're gonna hit uh, we're gonna hit 5k soon which is gonna make me very very happy and uh and then it's the journey to 10 um but thank you as always for listening and watching y'all have a great day we'll talk to you again next week Bye-bye.